worship team. Good morning, church family. So good to see each of you today. And to those who are also watching online, we just want to greet you and tell you how much we miss you as well. I, I think we're still in those days where we probably have more people watching online. So feel as if you are participating today. You're not observing. You are here uh, with us as we worship. Well, as I begin this morning, let me tell you what I did. Uh, about two months ago, I joined Facebook. I thought I was going to be like the last one to join, and I always teased that if I ever did join, that they'd have to come up with something new, you know. Um, and I, I, I did it because we were moving to this online format. I thought, you know, it would probably be good if my messages are going out on Facebook, and it would be good to actually have an account. And wow, I, I didn't realize what I was missing. Are you on Facebook? Have you seen what's taking place? I mean, I, I, I thought it was like... Uh, Here's pictures of my family, and here's, here's, uh, here's uh, our last vacation. But, you know, there's a lot more to it. And uh, it doesn't take much to see that there's a lot going on in our world and that there is a lot of frustration, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of dialogue and debate. And I know some of you are thinking, I wonder if, if Ryan has read what I put on Facebook. And I'll just tell you, I probably haven't. Okay, no offense, but I just, I got a little discouraged by the whole format. And uh, I've, I've been on Twitter for a while, and I kind of like the smaller little nuggets of information, but even that one is about to wear me out. So if you're thinking, well, I wonder if he's read what I put, I, I probably haven't. I just have not, have not been real, a real diligent Facebook user. But I mention that to say that I know, I know that there is a lot of frustration, a lot of unrest that is happening in our world today. And so what I'm about to do is put my oar into a large sea today. And I'm pretty sure that in a 30-minute segment here, one message that I'm not going to cover or address every aspect or every topic uh, that is fueling the unrest and the debate, um, or maybe even in a 40-minute sermon, right? I mean, who's to say? I mean, I might actually do 40 today. That won't cover it all either. We need, need additional information and resources and so forth, but, but uh, I do know that uh, as we look around the world, that there is a lot of confusion. And maybe today you've walked in here and you've been encouraged as we've sung to the Lord. You've been reminded that there's hope in Him. And I pray that, that today, as, even as we open His Word, that we can find some direction, some guidance, some things to help us make sense of what we are looking at around us. Because the spring started with a bang, didn't it? I mean, we started in this global pandemic and, you know, trying to adjust and figure out how to deal with isolation and, and safety precautions and all of that. And then we moved into the end of the spring and, and we've, uh, we've seen the unrest. We've seen uh, uh, the, the society around us uh, just uh, filled with, with, with protests and riots. There have been calls to defund the police, to remove historical monuments and statues. I mean, things that we could never have, have predicted that we would be experiencing, we are living through right now. And so we, we look around and we, like everyone else, are trying to make sense of it. We're trying to understand it. We want to know how, how can we respond in light of what we're seeing. And I know that, that um, uh, the situation uh, last month regarding the murder of George Floyd was a real tipping point for our nation. Uh, there's no doubt about it. It was a tipping point. And I, I believe there's a lot of factors. I think there's a lot of frustrations. There's a lot of, of things there. But that, that uh, was a matter that, that really brought things uh, to the forefront. I addressed this a little bit 
uh, last month, but I'd like to take a little more time today and Lord willing next week uh, to look at some passages of Scripture that I think will help us as we, uh, uh, as we see what is taking place. I know that there's a lot more I want to say from the beginning that I need to learn uh, about racism, about racial tension, uh, about the experiences of those who have lived uh, within the minority culture. I know that I need to be a learner. I need to listen. I need to to understand. Uh, There needs to be humility and empathy that we as a church family possess, that God gives to us as we we, uh, listen to one another, as we listen to uh, the community and the world around us. Uh, that, that is all uh, what we need uh, to be focused upon right now. I've, I've taken some time, I mentioned this last month, that, that there are a number of African-American pastors and authors that have really uh, uh, moved to the forefront in speaking into some of the matters that we're, that we're, that we're seeing. And they've been extremely helpful. They've written, they've, they've done uh, uh, messages and sermons and podcasts, and there's a lot of information that, that has been helpful, and I hope that you are uh, looking and, and, and listening as, as I'm striving to do. I want to begin by saying that racial prejudice is a real issue, and the Bible calls it a sin. And so we're going to see that, that a sin that, uh, that, is, that is present, yes, in our nation and has been for, for centuries, is still present today, is, is a reflection of the human heart. And that there is, there's hope for sin, there's victory. We've been singing about that. And so, so we, we recognize uh, uh, racism as sin and, and therefore look to the Lord to give us hope and strength. I've titled uh, the message, Hope for a Fractured World. And my aim this morning is to give a biblical response to racial prejudice. Again, uh, looking at next week as well, wanting to to provide some practical uh, measures to follow this message. But today I want to give some pieces of what we might consider a biblical worldview. Because everything that we see happening in the world around us, we we see through through our own perspective. And that perspective at times needs to be informed with what God's Word has said. And I would encourage us, whatever topic arises in our culture, whatever question arises, it's it's the the best place to start when we ask the question, what does God's Word say? Does God's Word shed any light? Are there principles? Is there wisdom that we can glean from the Word of God? It's not just what, what my opinion is or what your opinion is. It's what does God's Word say? And so when we, when we speak in this manner, we're talking about a worldview that is biblically based, a biblical worldview. Now, everyone has a worldview. They have a, a perspective. The question is, is it being influenced by the Word of God? And as believers, we look to the Word of God and say, it's sufficient It's authoritative. And so we can't enter a dialogue, we can't enter a topic and ignore what Scripture has to say. And so again, I know that it could be a series of messages to try to do a a full and complete uh, perspective on this, but I do want to get a starting point. And I I want us to to look at some pieces that I think will uh, help us to form a biblical worldview. D.A. Carson has given what I think is a good description or definition of a worldview. He says, it is your internal interpretive framework by which you make sense of your life and the world. And so this is important. This is important to us as believers that, that we are able to look at the world around us and see, does God's word 
instruct us. And I am, I am particularly thinking even of the young people that are with us today, the young people that are watching. You know, is your worldview being informed by the Word of God? Because it, 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 for each of us, it needs to be. And I would say to the, to the older people among us, it's incredibly important for you because you may have placed uh, uh, perspectives that you've, that you've gleaned from other sources and not realize that they too can be unbiblical. And so we want to go back to the Word of God. That's the, the, the right question to begin with. What does God's Word say? So to get started, I want to, I want to give uh, my first of three points as this. All people are created in God's image. All people created in God's image. Now I know that many of you are thinking, okay, wait a minute, I could, I could have wrote that one down for you, Ryan. I know that's very basic, but we have to start there. We have to start with what's very basic because even though we all affirm this and we say all people are created in God's image, that has not always been the thinking of the church historically. And I, I might even bring some of that resource uh, for us next week that in the Church of America there have been seasons and there have been theologians that have not embrace this as truth. So that's why we have to start here. And it's the building block from which the rest of what we'll be looking at today comes from. The image of God. This is speaking of us as humans being created in the imago dei, the image of God. You are an image bearer of God. I am an image bearer of God. Every person ever created, ever born is an image bearer of God. We find uh, this going all the way back into the book of Genesis. We can look at chapter 1. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image. And again, you, you see the, the plural uh, words here speaking, uh, thinking of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So this is where we begin, referencing the, the immaterial part of humanity. You can think of it, obviously, as the soul or the spirit. Uh, but, we're, but we can see that, that there are several distinctions that flow out of being created in the image of God. In fact, uh, our student ministry has been participating with an online ascend camp the last few nights. So maybe if you've been on to hear the messages uh, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, their theme has been the image of God and how it has implications in different ways. And if, if you happen to miss it or if you're not in the student ministry and you're interested, it's online. You can go to ascend camp and you can, you can see some excellent, excellent teaching. But some of these distinctions, one of them would be the mental capacity. We know that people in a unique way have the ability to reason, to make choices. And this is a reflection of, of, of God's intellect. It's a reflection of, of his freedom. And, and we see that, that we have that opportunity being created in his image. We see the moral capacity, knowing that God is, is, is righteous, that he's holy, and that, that we have been created with, with a desire to know good from evil, right from wrong. Now, this is, this is His image flowing through us. Now, obviously, we know that that's been marred by sin, and so we, we understand that. But nonetheless, the moral capacity that, that humanity has is a reflection of His image. Another one is a social capacity. Um, one of the things that's been so hard about the pandemic is, is isolation. 
and we come together and we get to see each other again and we're, 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 we're encouraged. We, 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 we see people that we haven't seen in, in quite some time and it's, it, it, it brings joy and encouragement because we are not created to live in isolation. We're created to live in fellowship. Uh, first of all, fellowship with God, but also fellowship with one another. And, and that, that social capacity is part of the image of God because He is a triune God. God the Father, God the uh, Son, God the Holy Spirit in unity together. That's a reflection that we ourselves desire. In Acts chapter 17, there's a verse that, that also underscores this idea that all people are created in God's image. Uh, it says in Acts 17, verse 26, From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. Now, this is a, a New Testament passage, obviously, speaking about what we read in Genesis chapter 1. That from one man, from Adam and Eve, then everything was set in motion for every nationality over the whole earth. Now, I know that we look at that and we say, um, the diversity of the world around us, how do, we, how do we make sense of that starting with Adam and Eve and then see the, the, the reflections of diversity among ethnic groups across the world? And I think that there are some very good answers that help us understand this. Uh, one of them that I, that I read recently is written by a molecular biologist, Dr. Michael Hajiguru, and he is the uh, chair of the Department of Life Sciences at the New York Institute of Technology. I don't know what his spiritual status is at all, but I know his position and I know his, uh, uh, his occupation, and as a molecular biologist, he says this, data show uh, shows that the DNA of any human beings is 99.9% identical. And we all share the same set of genes, scientifically validating the existence of a single biological human race and one origin for all human beings. In short, we are all brothers and sisters. Think about that. Read about that if you're interested, about the, the, the genetic makeup of humanity. And again, I don't know this guy's spiritual uh, belief at all, but what he's saying lines up with what we read in Acts chapter 17. And uh, last summer, during vacation Bible school, we used a curriculum from Answers in Genesis that talked about this very topic. Looking and seeing how can we view ourselves not as all of these races, but one human race. Yes, with different ethnicities, we understand that, but, but that we are all connected. And it was a fascinating study for, for, for me. I, I was one that was, that was uh, helping to teach the kids. And I just, I love the resource. If you go to Answers in Genesis, they have a website with some articles on it about this very thing. You say, well, what's my point? It's simply this. All people are created in God's image. We are one human race comprised of different ethnicities. And we, we begin by recognizing that and respecting that each other are image bearers of God. When we view each other in that capacity, that's a different worldview than what is oftentimes seen out there. Now this, uh, this word ethnos, ethnos in Acts 17.26, in the, in the version I read it was translated, I think, nationality. It, it, it really is an ethnic group. And we know that throughout the world there are many ethnic groups. There are many people groups. And oftentimes there is conflict between them. 
And we've seen that in our own nation, our own nation's history. But we can also think about things that have happened in the Balkans of Europe. We can think about uh, the situation of, of what took place in Rwanda uh, uh, a couple decades ago. We can think about the caste system of India. I mean, we can find examples across the world of, of ethnic groups struggling to live and care for one another. But again, we go back to the fact that every person is created in God's image. And any racial prejudice from one group against another is not part of a biblical worldview. In fact, in Scripture, we see examples. One of them is, is with Jesus speaking to the Samaritans. And you may recall that there was great hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans of that day. Jesus is, is giving uh, uh, information and accounts and saying, here is a good Samaritan. These are, you know, he's talking to people that are, that, are, that are Samaritans and even catches flack for that. And he's showing an example that he cared for all people. As you go through the, the, uh, uh, the Bible, you'll, you'll see that even in the early church, they affirm both the Jew and the Gentile. And so we see that the Bible speaks of all human life having intrinsic worth and value because we are all created in His image. That's the first point, and that's foundational. The second one is this. God condemns prejudice and injustice towards all people. And this flows right out of the first point because if, if all people are image bearers of God, to treat them with injustice or prejudice would be uh, offending an image bearer of God. And so, so it, it, it really flows and it, it speaks to the fact that all, all people are on this level playing field. We don't, we don't divide people into to groups or classes and say that, that one is more superior than another. That's not part of a biblical worldview. We're going to go back to an Old Testament passage and see that uh, there was instruction even back in the book of Leviticus of how people were to treat one another. And uh, I think you might find this interesting because it not only speaks of things like injustice and partiality, but it also ties these things to the character of God. The Lord gives instruction, then He reminds them, I am the Lord your God. And so what we see is the idea of, 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 of not having injustice or prejudice against another is a reflection of God at work in us. It's His character at work. So Leviticus 19, let's begin in verse 15. Do not act unjustly. Now this is like speaking of a, of a, of a case where people are trying to solve uh, a matter. Do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your, among your people. Do not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. So he wants his people to know how to, how to uh, live and care and treat one another. Let's keep reading. Verse 17, do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now we've heard even Jesus gave this. He was asked, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? This one made it, didn't it? Right after love the Lord your God, the next one was love your neighbor as yourself. So we're familiar with that phrase. But it's interesting to see how it's, it's given here in light of how we care for community, that there's not partiality, 
There's not prejudice. There, it's not injustice. All these things we just, we just read about. But let's continue. Look down at verse 33. When an alien resides with you in your land, and, and I'll just be honest, I'm taking that to mean foreigner, right? Not, not alien like from, from another planet, but someone that's not part of your ethnic group, if you want to read it that way. When they are with you in your land, you must not oppress him. You will regard the alien who resides with you as the native born among you. Whoa, wait a minute. So that means what we just read about in the previous verses apply to this person as well. That's right. That's right. We see the distinctions that, uh, that we would make in our own mind don't change the way we are to treat one another. All the way down to the next phrase where it says you are to love him as yourself. For you are aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is part of our biblical worldview, church family, on how we are to care for each other. And I, I know there's things in there about resentment and grudges. And, and if you keep reading the text, it talks about using, using uh, uh, weights and measures that are honest, that you don't cheat people. And so there's a lot there. They speak of justice. They speak of not showing partiality. They speak of loving your neighbor, even a neighbor that is not part of your ethnic, or your people group. These are timeless principles, and they shape our understanding of how we're to treat one another. Peter had an awakening uh, in Acts chapter 10. He had a hard time realizing that God had a plan for people outside of the Jewish faith. And he had this awakening, and he said in verse 34 of Acts 10, Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So there's a whole lot there in Acts 10 of, of how Peter uh, came to this understanding. But here's the point. He realized that God had a love for people all over the world and wanted to have a relationship with people from all over the world. Peter finally understood that. Romans chapter 2, verse 11, for there is no favoritism with God. Again, this is God's character, and it's meant to be reflected through His people. Even as James is writing uh, to the early church, himself having been a church leader, he's writing to the early church. And uh, our students, uh, a couple nights ago, had an excellent message on, on uh, this chapter. But let me read verses 1 to 4. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges? What does it say? With evil thoughts. So what we're learning here is that, that God doesn't have favoritism. He doesn't want His people to show favoritism. In this case, they were doing it based upon what someone was wearing, right? This person's dressed a certain way. They can sit here. This person's dressed another way. They can, they can go stand over there or sit at a footstool. Now, was it, was it the clothing or was it the perceived economic status of that individual? You see, 
in our minds, we can, we can prejudge people. We can make divisions and classifications. And based upon what we think about someone, we can begin to treat them differently. And, and that's part of the sin nature. That's why James called it evil. And so we, we recognize that it exists, not, not just out there. We recognize it exists right in here, too. And so we, we, we do that uh, in light of what God's Word is telling us to shape us, to mature us, to convict us that we not show prejudice, favoritism, that we not deal unjustly with people because they are a part of a different group. These external factors that we as humans use to try to de determine superiority is not compatible with a biblical worldview. Again, it is human nature, and so we have to keep an eye on it. All of these, these things are, 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 uh, flow out of the, the sin nature, and so we don't want that to be what is guiding us. We want to see that we have been redeemed, we've been set free, forgiven of these sins, and that we don't want to harbor them. We want uh, the Lord to do a work within our hearts so that we don't express this type of prejudice. But again, as Christians, we're not to see categories or classes of people some who are viewed as more superior than others. That's, that's, that's a given. But let me say, there are many different perspectives being voiced right now. And so we need to take a little time and we need to, we need to evaluate them based upon what we see in God's Word. Because there's a, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of frustration. And there's a lot of people looking for an understanding. And I will tell you, church family, that not all of what's being said is in line with a biblical worldview. When I was in college, I, I chose to major in, in sociology, and I thought it was an interesting uh, subject, and to read uh, how you study a society, how you study a group, and, and there's the different aspects of it that are, that are very interesting. Um, I can remember, and I'm sure you've probably heard the terms uh, proletariat and bourgeoisie that comes out of the thinking of Karl Marx, uh, sometimes thinking of the group of the, the, of the haves and the have-nots, or, or one group is the, is the oppressed group, the other group is the oppressor group. So, so what is Marxism doing? It's categorizing people. Now, again, it's not saying, uh, I'm not saying that we don't recognize when there is injustice. We've covered that. But this idea of beginning to, to look at people through that framework flows out of Marxism. In fact, the critical theory, or what is also referenced these days as the critical race theory, has been one that has brought about a lot of dialogue right now with theologians trying to understand, you know, what these Marxist ideologies are doing. And I will tell you, they are gaining ground. They're gaining ground right here in the mainstream of our nation. And so I'm mentioning it because I think it's important that we see the contrast between who Karl Marx was, what he promoted, where it's being picked up today, and how it can reshape not only our nation, but it can reshape our thinking to something that is not in line with a biblical worldview. One of these organizations that is being influenced by cultural Marxism is known as Black Lives Matter. It has a great name. It has a great name. And the statement Black Lives Matter is absolutely true. 
based on the entire first point that I just gave. We can look at that statement and we can affirm it. But what I want to tell you is that the organization that goes by that same name has been endorsing and promoting other things that we would not see as a biblical agenda. We are a biblical worldview. We can see that statement and, and agree with what it's saying and say, that's a great name. But as an organization, I, I was told that and, and heard that I should read its, its statement of belief. Belief. So I did. And I would encourage you to do the same. You can go to their website and you can pull it up. And you can see that, that the, the, the biblical worldview of family is not embraced by this organization. In fact, it encourages to not have that, but to have a society where children are raised in villages. That it's, it's more of a community, not, not a family. Uh, that, that the idea of a family structure, husband, wife, marriage, these things, not, not embraced. So uh, the idea of, of when we see uh, human sexuality in covenant, in marriage, a husband and a wife, they don't embrace that. It's embracing a different perspective, uh, a different view of sexuality, including uh, uh, support of the homosexual lifestyle, the, 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 the raising of that. Um, I was even uh, uh, reading about their view of gender, where we, would, we read in, in, in Genesis about gender. God created the male and female. They disagree that, that gender is something that's given at birth that this is something that is fluid and people can, can change and decide differently. So I had someone come up to me after the first service and said, I, I had no idea that the organization was, was, was promoting those other things. Well, it's true, and you can read it. And so I just have to, to tell you that these are things out there that are shaping the conversations of our culture right now. I know that not everybody is aware of all of those things, but we, we have to understand in fact, I, I, I read their website. Oftentimes, you'll see the word comrades used. Uh, they speak of having Marxist training because they give a Marxist ideology. And I just want to tell you, if, if racism is a sin problem and racial injustice is a sin problem, Karl Marx doesn't have the answer. And neither does Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin, you've heard of his work, oftentimes referenced as the origin of species, but you know, that's not the full title of his work. Let me give you the full title. On the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. And his work, if you read it, goes on to speak of a favored or superior race and the extermination of lower races so that a master race can be achieved. I, I'm not even going to read the quotes on this because it's disgusting to see how he spoke about Africans and how he spoke about the aborigines of Australia and others. So when we begin to, to look back into the history, we need to look and see the influence of Darwin and Marx. And you say, why, why am I wading into these waters? I'll tell you why. Because right now, people in America are looking for some answers. And there are, there, there, the, these other answers that are out there are not solutions. They run contrary to what we see in the Word of God. God's Word is sufficient. 
It's authoritative to shape our understanding of ethnic diversity and how we are to care for one another. God's word speaks, as we've seen, to, to, it speaks to injustice and to prejudice, all of these things. But even more, the gospel of Jesus Christ deals with sin. It, it forgives people of sin. It exposes and convicts the sin. It doesn't tolerate the sin, but instead gives new life so that someone can be set free from, from prejudice and racial understandings. It can be set free from that. That's what the world needs is the gospel of Jesus Christ to give hope and to give healing, to give new life for a community of people like us who have been set free to be able to, to be salt and light and, and give a loving, empathetic, hum, humble perspective to a world that's watching, a world that's hurting, to not be dismissive of people's pain, but to come alongside and to offer hope. Because what we've read today about people being created in God's image, that gives hope. What we've read today about how to treat and care for one another, that, that provides some action points for us. So if racial prejudice is sin, we see that it's a gospel matter. And so I encourage us as a church to do what we do, to do what we do best, and that is to stick to the Word of God, to view as authoritative and sufficient for the day that we're living in. These are gospel matters. Again, the biblical worldview is that sinners need a Savior. Sinners don't just heal themselves. They need forgiveness. They need a new life. And that's why we read the good news, what's probably the most famous verse of all time. John 3.16, for God so loved the world in this way he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That verse reminds us that God sent his son for the whole world. And you know what the, the, the aftermath of that is? The aftermath is that God's bringing people from all over, from every ethnic group into his family. Our brothers and sisters in Christ reflect every people group, every language group. In fact, Revelation chapter 7 is a, uh, is a reminder of this. If you look in verse 9, this is a, a vision of what it looks like around the throne of God. Listen to it. After this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language which no one could number standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Folks, that's a picture of our future. And isn't it interesting that the idea of every tribe and tongue and nation is included in this description of what is happening around the throne? This is a God that does not have prejudice, leading us as a people to not have prejudice, but to love one another, to live out our unity in Christ. I'm going to quote from a pastor named Mark Vrogop, and he describes this very scene. And he says that with one voice, this group is offering a tribute to their Savior that Jesus stands alone as the victor, sin is defeated, Satan is banished, redemption is accomplished. And he makes note of the diversity of those that are around the throne. And he says this, he says, assembled in the presence of the King of Kings, 
African, Hispanic, Asian, Native American, European, South American, Pacific Islander, the Hutus and Tutsis of Rwanda, the white and black Americans, Brahmins and Shudras in India, white and black South Africans, all proclaiming their allegiance to the risen Christ. And then he says, imagine this, historical divisions and prejudices gone. Won't that be a day, church family, to rejoice? A day to rejoice that all of that has been done away with. All people created in God's image. Number two, God condemns prejudice and injustice towards all people. And finally, number three, the church should lead the way in racial reconciliation. And I just uh, mentioned this author, Mark Vrogop. He has written a book this year called Weep With Me. And I'm going to quote a little bit more today and Lord willing next week as well. Uh, because he's, he has some good insights. But as I was reading through the opening chapters of the book, he gave a description of the church in Antioch that I had never heard before. Now, we know the church in Antioch. We go into the book of Acts, and we see Acts chapter 11. This is the church that, that uh, was flourishing. It was the church that Paul went to and spent time being discipled before he went on a missionary journeys. We know oftentimes when we think about the church in Antioch, we remember the verse, verse 26. It says, they were first called Christians at Antioch, I had never really understood how important that phrase was until I read his chapter on it. Let me, let me share a couple quotes. He says the, the term Christian means those belonging to Christ, right? And so the, the observing world called the church Christians because they recognized that they all belonged to Christ. But ethnic Harmony was part of the story. Antioch was a large metropolitan city with people from a lot of different ethnicities and background that had settled there. Like many Roman cities, he says, it was segregated by design. At the establishment of Antioch in 300 B.C., a wall separated Syrian people from Greek people. As the city grew under Roman domination, 18 ethnic groups divided its population. Again, talking about the city of Antioch. As in many cities in the empire, ethnic division and violence were common, and segregation was the solution. He continues and says, a thriving church blossomed in Antioch. And this church became the launching pad for the spread of the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, it's interesting that the book of Acts demonstrates that Antioch was a, was a strategic assembly, a strategic church. It, was, uh, it had a, a transformative influence in its own town, but also as the gospel went forth. And that's why the name Christian was needed. Because the church at Antioch wasn't Jewish. It wasn't Gentile. It was both. And that was new. Regardless of ethnicity, these believers united around their common belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was their unity. Unity in the gospel flourished. Culture and ethnicity no longer separated them. Their allegiance to Jesus and love for one another created this new community. The world had no category for them. This was only the beginning. Racial unity through the gospel spread beyond Antioch. About 300 miles, Paul wrote a letter to a church in Colossae. Here's what he wrote to them in chapter 3, verse 11. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, 
circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. You think he learned that while he was there in Antioch? You see, the gospel was impacting the hearts of God's people, and it changed how they were relating to people around them. Galatians chapter 3, another example of an early church in Galatia receiving a letter that says, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. A lot there, a lot there, I know, but it's the idea that, that it's level. It's level before the Lord and uh, that there was unity found, a oneness found there in Christ Jesus. The author, Mark Brogop, says spiritual oneness in Christ became the hallmark of the church. Underneath the most visible demarcations of ethnicity, a more fundamental identity emerged. Jesus brought people together. Gospel unity created racial harmony. And I just want to stop for a second because I know I've given you a lot. But let's let that sink in for a minute. Because a lot of people right now are saying, well, what are we supposed to do? What can we do? What can the church do? This is, this is what we can do. This is what we can do. We can, we can seek intentionally a body that embraces ethnic groups that are around us. Different ethnicities that are within our own community is the, is the right starting place. But it obviously goes beyond that when we think about the work of missions. church of Antioch got the attention of their community because of the way that they related to one another. Author John Perkins says he believes the church is the best place for this reason. He says there is no institution more equipped and capable of bringing transformation to the cause of reconciliation than the church. But we have some hard work to do. So as I wrap this message up, I know we've covered a lot of ground. I know a lot of thoughts are probably coming to mind, and I'm sure there's a lot of questions like, hey, he didn't touch on this or he didn't address this. and uh, Maybe I will next week, but I may not get to all of it. I, I'll just be honest. I, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a big subject. But I am convinced, and I've been convinced for a number of years since being the pastor here in St. Louis, that we should be a church that reflects the ethnic diversity of our community. We should do that as Fellowship of Wildwood. That should be a goal. It should be a pursuit. It should be something that is, that is part of who we are. And I know that, that there is some of that to a degree. But I look at the community around me and I, I know that, that there's more diversity. Like when my children go to school, they are in a more diverse setting than they are when they come to church. Many of you, when you go to your place of employment, you are in a more diverse setting. When you go shopping, you're in a more diverse setting. If you've gone to the Walmart in Manchester, you'll, you'll get what I'm saying. Lots of people from all over. And that, this, is, this is an opportunity for us to demonstrate what the Bible is teaching us and how we are to, to embrace one another and to be a, a, a place where people are, are affirmed and encouraged and embraced. But that the community could also look and say, this is, this, is, this is striking. I don't know that the community would say that about many churches today. I know there's some examples out there. I'm not trying to take a broad brush. But, but, but it was said many years ago that, that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the day. And in many cases, that's probably still true. But what about us here in Wildwood? 
I, I have some demographics, a 15-minute radius of our church property, a 15-minute driving radius. And you can see that the categories that were given in this particular piece of demograph, uh, demographic study uh, gives the breakdown of, of uh, ethnicity of, of white, Asian, Hispanic, black, those who have more than one ethnicity. And then there was uh, uh, others that were, that were also put together on the, on, the, uh, on the survey. And the middle column is 2019. You can see that the white population has, has decreased some since 2010. And it's projected to decrease more between now and 2024. You can see the Asian, Hispanic, uh, black, all of the rest are increasing. And so diversity is around us and it's growing around us. And so for us to recognize that, to, to, to embrace that, to be, to be ready to, to, to see that intensify within our own midst, in our midst for, for all the reasons that I've just, just, uh, just stated, but to also know that we can do that even, even against the backdrop of the division that we see today because of the gospel. That's what unifies. And so this is something that for us we want to make and should make. And this isn't the first time I've said some of these things. Some of you that have spent time with me know that, that you know, I've, I've, I've seen this uh, in, in, in other settings when I served in Greece had the opportunity to preach at some international congregations that were just filled with, with, with people from all over the world. It was, it was incredible. My brother and, and sister-in-law are members of a congregation in Minneapolis that's considered an international church because of all the ethnic, ethnicities that are represented in their congregation. And uh, my sister-in-law being a Chinese-American herself, this is something that, that for them has been a, a blessing. And I, I look at all of that and say, we can learn. We can, we can seek to, uh, to see this happening among us as well. Well, let me ask you this as we close. Do you think that God will be glorified when at His throne, people from every tribe and tongue and nation will be worshiping Him? Do you think God's glorified in that? A few of you say yes. Okay, great. All right. Second question, do you think that God would be magnified if our church family better reflected the community around us? Amen, yes. And so part of that is bringing it to the forefront, but it's also saying that we need to have a response, a response to help make that happen. I'm going to stop here. We're not done. Like I said, there's still more that I'd like to, to try to, uh, to touch on next week. But I want to end with prayer, and I want to mention one piece of the prayer that may be a matter of repentance for us today. Racism and racial prejudice, we've said, is a sin. And if we, through the study of God's Word today, or just from reminders that the Holy Spirit has given us recently, has been exposing within your heart or my heart this type of sin, we should, we should do with it as we would with any sin that is exposed. We should repent. And repentance means to turn. It means to agree with God and to turn away from that. And so if this is something that's striking a chord with you, I, I would call you to repentance today. I'd call you to, to consider what Christ wants to do in your heart. And maybe, maybe for some of us, it's the first time to, to see the gospel for what it is, that, that Christ wants to forgive us, that he wants to give new life. 
And I would encourage you to place your faith, your trust in Jesus by repenting of sin and receiving the free gift of salvation, which includes new life, transformed heart, a new way of thinking, a new way of looking at things around us. That's the starting point. So whether you've been walking with the Lord for many years and you have you have struggled with this particular sin or whether you're coming to him for the first time, I I invite you to trust in Christ. I would ask that as we pray today, that we pray for one another, these two words, I'm going to touch on them next week, humility and empathy. Humility and empathy need to drive the discussion. They need to drive even the, the worldview that we hold to and express. They're not, they're not separated from that worldview. Humility and empathy are part of it, right? And so we'll look at that in greater detail. But let's begin praying about that now. Would you bow with me as we turn to the Lord? We give Him our attention today and we ask Him to apply His Word. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are a great loving God. And that in Your wisdom, You chose to create all people in Your image. Father, I pray that You would... Help us to see those times in which we allow prejudice. In whatever capacity and whatever reasoning we we have, Lord, may you expose it on an individual level, but also as a corporate level, as a church family, that we, Lord, would honor you by honoring the image bearers among us, all of them. God, we pray that as a church that we could be like Antioch. And that's going to take your work among us for us to be a reflection of of this community as they were. God, would you allow the world to see that in us? God, we thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. And I pray that 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 will mark the way in which we are viewing the world around us. God, give us love and compassion. Give us empathy and humility. Give us a resolve to to not shy away from the truth of your word. God, this is going to take your work within each of us. Lord, apply your word today to me. Apply it to our church family. God, we pray that you and you alone would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. All of God's people said.